Would you all pray with me? Lord, we're grateful for this time to hear your word, to reflect on your truth, and to be shaped by your gospel. We ask that you would be with us. We pray all of this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Spirit. Amen. So my name, again, uh, is David Barr. I am very new here. Um, My wife, Caroline, and I just moved here from uh, South Carolina, and I just want to say, you know, this is the first time here, that we've been so grateful for y'all's warmth. Y'all are a really warm crowd and so um, welcoming. What a hospitable bunch. So thank you. So, so glad to be here. Not only am I new to uh, here, but I'm newly ordained as well. I haven't been ordained all that long. And uh, one of the things, though, even though I've not been ordained long, I've spent my fair share of time in churches, and uh, I've yet to hear, maybe you have, but I have yet to hear anyone say, you know, my prayer life is exactly where it needs to be. I'm totally good. My prayer life is just swinging along fine. I feel great. Um, I have these deep moments of intimacy with the God with God regularly. I'm I'm where I need to be. I haven't heard that. Maybe you have. I haven't. It could just be because I'm new. But I would suspect you haven't either. And I think that one of the reasons that that happens is because prayer is a struggle. I think we all struggle with prayer. Prayer is challenging for us for a whole host of reasons. Uh, you know, we're persuaded by a world that uh, values productivity and uh, work, and prayer is, by the world's standards, not productive. But in our gospel reading, which I just read, we see that Jesus knows this. He knows that the only way for his disciples to endure to the end, that's the goal, to endure to the end is to persevere in prayer. He knows that without prayer, as he says in verse 1, that they'll lose heart. If you want to endure to the end and not lose heart, you must pray. And so that is the main point of the parable that we just read. There you have it at the beginning. How to endure to the end and not lose heart and how prayer can get us there. He says again, at the very end, when I come back, will I find faith on earth? So how do we endure? And Jesus' parable really is in some ways basically an encouragement. It's a word of encouragement. It's a story. Actually, if you think about it, the word encourage goes well with not losing heart. It's in French from, uh, you know, to promote heart, to promote faith or heart. Anyway, side story. No one cares about words in their history. <clears throat> so he tells them this story about a widow, woman of no social standing, who uh, persistently appeals to this corrupt and uncaring judge for justice. And the judge, uh, the text is clear over and over, this judge has no respect for other people, no respect for the law, and uh, he's no good. He's a lousy judge. And yet the widow keeps coming back over and over and over. And finally, the judge, just to get her to go go away, and the text says this, it says this, he gives her what she wants not out of duty, not out of a sense of justice, but to get her to go away. And then Jesus says, if an unjust, lousy judge will give justice to this relentless woman's begging, then how much more will he answer his chosen people? And so I think we can read this in a number of ways. There uh, is one where we look at the, the, the woman, the persistent widow, and we could say, well, she is a model. She's how we should be. Be like the relentless widow. Pray endlessly. And I think that's a fine reading, all things considered, but it's, 
it's a little simplistic. And it's simplistic because the point of the story is this hyperbolic comparison, right, between this terrible judge and the God of the Old Testament. And that's important to remember because he is speaking, Jesus is speaking to Jews who knew, knew this God. And they knew his story. So the issue here really has to do with God's character. Is God really like he says he is? Or is he like this judge? But the disciples, they know. They've, they're Jewish. They know their story. They know that their God is the one who created them and brought them out of Egypt, that he gave them his own gracious words in the law, that he was actually present with them in the wilderness, that he eventually made them into this great nation and gave them a king. He corrects them under the Persians and the Babylonians. He brings them back, gives them a new land. He tends to them. He makes them his. He promises them a Messiah and he gives them a temple. He gives them a place. And that's the point. So this God who made you, who loved you, shepherded you, created you, would he ever act like this uncaring judge? Furthermore, why would you ever think that he would? Remember, Jesus knows us. He knows it is absolutely natural for us to think of God just like we would earthly judges and rulers. To sort of project our own understandings of what power and authority are onto God. And when we do that, we do it typically in two ways, and it's just like the parable says. The first option is that we project our understanding of a God who has all power but no goodness. And that's exactly what the judge is, isn't it? He's a judge who has power but no goodness. The other option is we, uh, uh, we project an image of God where um, he gives us what we want. And in some ways, that's kind of what the widow, how she interacts with the judge. He gives her what he wants. That's the point. And the point of comparison here is that God is neither. God is neither of those things. He is both powerful and good, as his life with Israel proves, and the disciples know this. And he's also wise enough to give us what we need. And I think if we're being honest, we typically fall into either of those camps. Maybe we could parcel it out like in terms of generations. I, I, I don't know, but often we will think of God as one who is powerful but not good, or we'll think that he is uh, powerful but will, will exist to give us what we want. And both of those are roadblocks to prayer. The one leads to praying to God in a form of um, a tit-for-tat relationship. The other one leads to zero intimacy. No one prays to a God and expects intimacy for if he's not good. And I think for me, it's, it's the one about God giving me what we want that's the most challenging. And it might be different for you. You might be the other way. You might struggle with thinking about God's goodness. But for me, the struggle with prayer is thinking about God as one who gives me what I want. I think for a long time, I struggled with prayer, and this is just me, because I would pray for particular things and expect a a, a certain outcome. And how it would normally go is I would have uh, sins that I didn't like about myself, and I'd ask God to take those away, and he often wouldn't. For example, you know, I'd go to be with a group of people, and I knew there was going to be that one person that I didn't like, didn't want to engage with. So I get ready, I pray, I say, oh God, help me to love this person. And then as soon as I get into the room, I'm a total jerk to the person that I prayed to be nice to. 
And then, you know, you leave the party and you're like, oh gosh, I, I did that. I was a total jerk to that person. And then you get disheartened. See, that's the point. You get disheartened. And you get angry with yourself, or I would get angry with myself. It took me a long time to, to kind of realize what was going on here. And what I began to realize sometime later was that my prayers were actually very misdirected. There was so much more about ridding myself of sin, uh, about becoming a particular vision of myself, and becoming a particular way. And they were not that much about God. And that's the point. They weren't that much about God. They were all about me. And if you think about it, if your problem with prayer is that it's, it's all about you, your sinlessness, your plans, your goals, whatever, what's the worst thing that God could do? He could give you what you want. And it's more about you. So as soon as I realized that that was my problem, that, that I was dealing with a God who uh, not only wanted me to have good things, but to, to receive things that were good for me, I started to change. Um, I mean, you know, I just, by no means, you know, I got a long way to go. <laughs> Sorry, Lee. You, <laughs> don't tell him. Um, but what I started to see is that I would notice other sins. I'd notice things that I had not seen before and that God would move in my heart and he would begin to renew what I longed for and the way I interacted with certain people. And it was surprising because it was often about things that I'd never noticed. But God was moving, doing things in my heart. And I think this is exactly what's going on in this parable. Who you think God is, is how you'll pray to him. Who you think God is, is exactly how you will pray to him. And our Jeremiah reading, which was a wild ride, describes this so well. It says who God is. It gives us the story of this God. This God is not a corrupt judge. He's not one that you have to nag endlessly to get what you want. He's not a God who doles out justice like some provincial landlord. In verse 33, we saw that he's not a God who longs to put his good law as a a totem that's too high for us to reach, but he wants to put it in our hearts. He's also a God who's interested in knowing us, not just in words, but our souls. He wants to know us in person. He's a God who wants to know the very least of you as he would the greatest. And he's the kind of God who doesn't just forgive your sins, but it says at the end of that, that he forgets them. I don't even know what that means. That's incredible. He forgets them. That's almost to say that he erases them. So this is the kind of God that you pray to, that you and I pray to. This is the way he is. This is the kind of God who shows up in Jesus Christ. And this is the only kind of God, I promise you, that you will not lose heart in. He's the kind of God who will bring you to the end. He's the kind of God who longs for you to pray to him that you might not lose heart. In the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. Amen.